announcements for you guys this morning except for uh, none of the non-worship service extracurriculars will be happening today. There's no adult Bible study. There's no youth confirmation. Uh, there's no adult confirmation tonight. Kids Sunday School is also not going to be happening today, but for future reference, uh, beginning next week, it will happen just after the 1015 service. They've been trying to do it in between the 745 and the 9 o'clock service and 9 o'clock and 1015. And they've decided they're just going to uh, limit it to just after the 1015 service. So that'll be beginning next week. Other than that, I don't have a whole lot of announcements for you. Uh, let's go ahead and stand and we'll begin worship. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sin to God. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of your people today. We confess that we have worshipped too many other gods we have devoted ourselves to all too many different values. Turn our hearts to You again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of Your people today. We confess that we have visited all too many sanctuaries. We have tried to find the sources of life in all too many other places. Turn our hearts to You again. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, be the God of Your people today. We turn to You and to You alone to be our God, our only God. Forgive our sins. Give us spiritual integrity. Give us wholeness and holiness. Answer us in the name of Christ, for He has promised to intercede for us. It is in Him that we pray in the fellowship of His body. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the Gospel of Christ from John 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Amen. Psalm 111. 
Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 61 and 62. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is Galatians 4, 4 through 4-7. This is also the sermon text for today. Paul says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and his sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. <clears throat> okay, can you look at the Galatians 4 text with me? It's uh, printed in the bulletin. Uh, this is a, uh, we always end up reading this on, you know, during Christmas season. It's a Christmas text, you can tell because it says Jesus was born of woman in verse 4. That's why we end up reading it. It's actually, uh, it's important for the same reason that Christmas is important, of course, is that it's because it's the key event in the story that God has been telling since Genesis. Adam and Eve fall, ruin God's good creation. And God said, this is the, all the problems that you have in your life today are a result of this, human rebellion against God. But God tells Eve in Genesis chapter 3 that the solution to the problem is going to be one of her children. It's going to be a human being. This is why here in verse 4, Paul emphasizes, born of a woman. This is, it's, he's, he's talking less about Christmas morning, and more about the fact that the one who was to come to fix everything was going to be a human, was going to be a son of Eve. Not only that, but a son of Israel. In uh, verse 4 as well, it says, uh, born of a woman, born under the law. That's a fancy way of saying here, uh, born under the law of Moses, born a Jew. Genesis 12, 15, and 17. God says it's not just a human being, out of the large pool of humans that's going to fix the problem. It's going to be a child of Abraham. It's going to be somebody born under the law. It's going to be a member of Israel. Jesus comes and he fulfills these, uh, he fulfills these qualifications and more to boot. And so we read this as a Christmas text, right? Well, so uh, look, can we briefly today, and I do mean briefly, can we briefly talk about three things in this text 
about what Christmas, three things that this text tells us Christmas means. Uh, Since God has become a human, we have been redeemed. Since God has become human, because God has become human, we've been adopted. And because God has become human, we've become heirs of all things. This text teaches all three of these things. So let's first off, let's start off by talking about uh, since God has become a human, uh, we have been redeemed. Verse 5 says, uh, Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, to redeem us. Uh, redeeming is, uh, it's pawn shop language, right? Uh, you hawk something, you go back later, and you have to buy to get back what belongs to you. Uh, more than that, though, that's true enough. More than that, though, in the Bible, it's classic Exodus language. God buys his people out of slavery. That is capital R redemption. That is like the prototype of redemption in the story of the Bible. God is the God who buys his people out of slavery. God is the God who does not let his people remain owned by somebody else. Three things that, three things that uh, we can say about redemption and how it relates to God is that, uh, first of all, God is willing and able to pay the price to buy us back. God is willing and able to pay the price to buy us back. And it's not cheap either. Are you guys aware of this? I uh, went to Walmart a a month or so ago to buy some golf balls. And in the sporting goods section, I saw that you can buy worms at Walmart. Were you guys aware of this? You can buy live worms at Walmart. That just seems like a classic Walmart thing. Uh, the bag, you could get a bag of 250 live night crawlers for 50 bucks. And so, like, I quickly did the math uh, in my head. It probably wasn't that quickly. But I did the math, and I think this is right. Uh, 20 cents. That's the sole of a night crawler is worth 20 cents. Did you know that? You can buy a night crawler for 20 cents. Uh, you could probably just go out in your yard and get one for free since you own the house. But 20 cents if you want to go to Walmart. If you want to buy a dog, and you can buy a dog, right? Uh, you can get a dog cheap, and by cheap, probably a you know a couple hundred bucks. You, you, I mean, there's some like pounds where you can get them for free, but then you're going to have to uh, to get them doctored up and get uh, everything ready at home. A couple hundred bucks. If you really want to get like a really fancy dog, you can spend thousands of dollars on a dog. And that's not, nobody in here, I mean, I wouldn't buy worms or dogs. I'm not really much of a pet person. Although I don't think the worms are meant for pets, if I understand their location in the sporting goods section. All right. I wouldn't buy either one of those. But nobody's really offended by that. Nobody thinks, oh, this is like, how cruel that these worms could be free citizens of whatever worm country they belong to. But here they are in a plastic bag. Nobody thinks that. But we, all, but we all know that it's, it's wrong to buy and sell human beings for a couple reasons. You know, one is that the, the, the type of person that would buy a human being is the type of person who would treat a human being like a worm or like a dog as something that's meant purely for my benefit. Them as bad people. We, we all sort of know that. But the larger principle behind that is that Everybody knows, even, even if you're a philosophical materialist and you believe that we're all just matter, nobody in our culture, the influence of Christianity is still strong enough that nobody actually takes that to, a, takes that to its logical conclusion and says, well, if we're all nothing but matter, I mean, except for the Hitlers of the world, if we're all nothing but matter, then we can buy and sell each other and it's okay. No, we all sense that it's wrong because we know 
because everybody's made in God's image, whether they love God or hate God or don't believe that God exists, whatever. Everybody knows that people made in God's image are too valuable to be purchased with any amount of money. It's not, you just can't do it. So when we say that God in Jesus Christ bought us to himself, what we're saying is, is that we have infinite value because he didn't spend money. This is what Luther says in the catechism, right? He, Jesus bought us not with gold or silver, but with his own precious blood and with his infinite sufferings and death. Like there's, not an, there's not an amount of money that can actually pay for what you're worth in God's eyes, or just because you're made in God's image. He bought you with his own self. This is what Christmas ultimately is about, right? Is that God comes to become human, to pay the price for us so he can buy us back to ourselves. That's the first thing is that you're infinitely valuable. Second thing is, as we can say, is that God wants to own you. That's what redemption is. If you go to the pawn shop and get your pocket watch out of hock, you take that home with you, and it now freely belongs to you. Twice over, once because it was yours before, and then twice because you redeemed it. God wants to own you like that. And different, different ones of you are going to have a different visceral response to this. Some of you are going to be like, yes, that's comforting to me. And some of you are going to be like, that's, a, that's actually what I hate about Christianity. Like, if you want to tell me about like, the wise Jesus who says things that will help people out, that, you know, that goes around and heals sick people, like I'm all in. But as soon as you start talking about like God wants to own me, it's like that's not American. I can't, I don't want anything to do with that. But there you have it. That's, the, that's what redemption means, is that you've been bought with a price. You are not your own, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You don't belong to yourself. And so glorify God with your body, which is his temple. Now, Interesting about redemption here in this text is that God wants to own you, but he wants to own you so that he can free you. He wants to own you so that you can be free. Now, again, there's a way of thinking. If you're, I'm talking to myself now too, if your idea of God is primarily master and I'm his servant, that sentence is not going to make any sense. I struggle with the meaning of this sentence because I too often drift into the notion that like God's wants to be the big boss, and he needs us to serve him here and to, you know, to be the people who do what he says. And so I think, like, how is that possible that God wants to own us so that we'll be free? But the answer is this, is that if you, if you think of God as master and yourself as slave, that sentence is nonsense. But if you think about God and us the way that Galatians 3 and 4 describe it, and I'm just going to read you one part of it, but this theme goes back into Galatians 3. It'll make more sense. Look at, look at verse 5 again. To redeem those who are under the law. That means he wants to own us so that we might receive adoption as sons. God wants to own you so that he can adopt you. That's the second thing, right? Christmas means, Christmas means God redeems us. Christmas means God adopts us. God wants you to be his children. Look, do I own my children? Yeah, and there's a certain sense in which I don't, right? I mean, they're eventually, I, I, they aren't my slaves. And so if you, think of, if you think of me as a slave owner and my kids as slaves, you're going to say, no, that's not true. You don't own them. But actually, in any loving relationship, there's a level of ownership. And the closer that relationship gets, the tighter the level of ownership becomes. Like, do you own your spouse? If you're married, do you own your spouse? The answer is yes. 
Like everything about your Americanism is going to say no, free individual. No, no, you actually aren't. You aren't allowed to not show up at home tonight. I mean, I guess you could. It's a free country, right? But as far as the relationship's concerned, your wife's going to say, that's not right, and you're not going to be able to say, it's none of your business, lady. I'm an American. I can do what I want. It's just not going to work. Do you, do you own your kids? Yeah, in this sense, like, I own them and they own me, right? Everything that I have belongs to them, and everything that's about them is mine, and I don't just get to walk out and move in with somebody else's kids. I don't get to say, yeah, I don't like these kids. Let's get rid of them and get some new kids. It's not the way it works. There's a level of ownership there. With your friends as well, with your closest friends. And now we're starting to move out from family. And so it gets a little bit weaker the farther away from the center you get. But with your friends as well, you, your friends have a certain level of ownership over you. You, you, don't get to just not, you don't get to just stop answering their text. Or if there's something that you guys regularly do, like every Friday night is fill in the blank night, you don't get to just not show up. Because they're going to get a hold of you and they're going to be like, what's up with this? This is not the way this world works between us. And they probably, as fellow Americans, they probably wouldn't say, you got to answer my text because I own you. But they wouldn't say that, but that's actually what's there a little bit. And their sense of injustice that you not responding to them flows from the fact that they believe that you, that they kind of own you. They own that part of you a little bit within the friendship. This is what we're talking about. You know, God wants to... God, God has bought you, but he's bought, it's, it's, like, it's like going and paying all the fees necessary to adopt a kid. You know, you, you pay the, you know, the court fees and there's fees that you're going to have to pay to the government if you buy them from overseas. There's buy them, as, you know, that you, I'm still using redemption language. That won't work actually with like, it's not the proper language for adoption here, but it works here with redemption. But if you go and you purchase the, uh, pay all the prices to the orphanage and to the government fees, from overseas, you're paying all that money, but you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, now I own this kid. And it's my no, you would say, I spent a ton of money because I want a child. I want a son or a daughter. God has spent all this money not to be your slave driver. This is the emphasis of Galatians 3 and 4 is that you are no longer slaves, but now you are sons and daughters. God has spent all of that cash, his own blood, to own you so that you can be his child and live with him. It's what he wants. He wants family. He wants a bigger and bigger family all the time. So another way to say it is this. Look at verse 5, first line of verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law. Okay, so this is a little bit more circuitous than the last point I just made. What does it mean in Galatians? What does it mean to be under the law? Now, I'm making the same point that God wants family. God wants his people around him. In, in Galatians, what under the law means is not you have to obey a bunch of rules, you know, the Ten Commandments. Specifically in Galatians, to be under the law means to think you have to be circumcised to be right with God. The Jewish ceremonial stuff, the Jewish separation laws. You have to do, you have to obey the kosher laws for, for God to be happy with you. Uh, you have to observe Sabbath day for God to be happy with you. All these things that, the outer things that made Jews, Jews. There's this insistence in Galatians from some people that like, Jesus is great but you really do need to be circumcised too, or you really do need to keep the kosher laws as well. And Paul is saying that that's under the law. And when he says here that you've, redeemed, you've been redeemed from out from under the law, what he's saying is, is you no longer have to obey those rules. What do those rules do? What those rules do is they establish outsiders and insiders. That's what the law always does. The law is going to say, oh, you're one of us? Oh, wait a minute, do you eat kosher? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, you must have been mistaken. You aren't one of us. 
Now, none of you probably struggle with kosher food laws or Sabbath laws or circumcision or anything like that. But every law that you follow, every law that you live under is there to create outsiders and insiders, either in reality or in your own mind. You're not going to win every case. You're not going to make every sale. You're not going to ace every test. You are not always going to have your children happy with you. You're not always going to be entertaining to your friends. And when you're not, when you fail that law, something inside of you is going to be like, okay, I'm not in the good mom club anymore. Or I wonder if my friends, I wouldn't blame them for even if they didn't like me. Or like there's other people in the office who are winning cases, and I just lost that one. It was super visible. And like, maybe I'm not in the end group anymore. See what the law is doing? It's saying you don't belong. Instead, what's happening here is, is the opposite, is that God is saying, forget that stuff. You know what belong means? I love you. You're in my family. I bought you. I own you. There's no way you can get out of this. That's the most intimate kind of belong. It's the longing that every one of us craves. This sense that like I'm valuable and everybody around me knows that I'm worthwhile. That's what the gospel is offering up here. This not living under the law, but being adopted. Now you're in this family. And that's your value is that you're in this family. So uh, another way, third way of saying it is this. Look at verse six. We're still talking about like adoption and you're being pulled into this group, this special inside group. Because face it, like, do you remember being in high school? Like, it's horrible, right? Like having one person that accepts you is super valuable. Having a group of people that you can belong to that's like way more valuable, that sense of like, I have purpose. So, so another way of looking at this is in verse six. Now check this out. This is a little bit heady, so check this out with me. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you see what's happening? You've been bought and adopted into this family. And now, since you are now sons and daughters, God has sent the Holy Spirit of his son, Jesus, into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. See what's happening here? The Holy Spirit is saying to you, for those of you who are believers, is saying to you, you know that Jesus is your brother. He's the Son of God. You guys are sons and daughters of God. That makes you siblings. And the Holy Spirit is telling you that because that's the case, because you are related to Jesus like that, like God is your Father. You have this sense now, as believers, it's, it's, it's never perfect, okay? I know that there are struggles sometimes. I know that we all have doubts, and there's sometimes when you're like, I don't even know if God is there. I don't even, don't even know if he likes me. But at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit who says, like, talk to that guy. He is your father. You can say Abba, which is a, you guys have heard this before. It's a term of endearment. It's an Aramaic term of endearment for, between kids and their father. You can call this guy your dad. You can call him your father. You have an intimate relationship with him. Because that's all true, but, but you see what else is happening here? You are being pulled into the life of the Trinity. You are now a sibling of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is convincing you that you're a sibling of Jesus, and that God the Father is your Father. Verse 6 contains all three members of the Trinity. What's the point? The point is this. You have reached the inner circle of all inner circles. You thought that if you could win more cases, you would be included in the in-group, once you get into that end group, you'll realize there's another law inside of there that separates inside of there. You thought that if you could like make the team, that you would be on the end group. But once you get into the end group, you'll see that there are more laws in there. There are more inner circles in there that you can't get into. 
But the inner circle, at the, at, the, at the inner circle of all inner circles, the inner circle that's the oldest of all the inner circles, the inner circle that all of the inner circles in your life are mere imitations and sometimes bad imitations of, is the inner circle of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity loving each other and being in fellowship with each other. And you and I in Jesus Christ have been pulled up into that. You now have a relationship with the deepest of all the inner circles. You belong in a way that nobody else who's outside of that circle can ever experience. You are loved absolutely and unconditionally. You don't need to make any more big shots. You don't need to win any more cases. You don't need to be the best mom in the world anymore. You don't need your friends thinking that you're very, very attractive anymore because you have infinite attraction to the God of the universe. This is what it means to be adopted. You are a child and nothing can ever take that away. Third thing, we've been redeemed, we've been adopted, and because of Christmas, we've also been made heirs, uh, heirs of God. Look at verse 7, last verse in our, in our reading. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Do you see the story that's being told here in verse 7? You've gone from slave to heir. This is like those stories... Uh, it's like Oliver Twist. I know this is cheesy. Uh, Dickens isn't for everybody. And this sort of thing happens in Dickens a lot, and so it's the kind of thing you would roll your eyes at. But do you know an Oliver Twist where, you know, he starts, he's an orphan, right? And he's dirt poor, and he, he ends up on the street and kind of gets pulled in with the criminals, and he's, you know, living with pickpockets and life of crime and all that. At the end of the story, okay, classic Dickens, at the end of the story, he finds out that his biological father, who he, who he never knew, of course, because he was an orphan, that he's actually the illegitimate son of his biological father, who was a fantastically wealthy man, who left him a fantastic amount of money. And at the end of the story, he goes from being orphan, criminal, to being uh, rich. That's the story that God is writing in your life right now. Thought that you were a slave. No, 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 no. You're actually a child. The thing about being a child of God is that you inherit everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything. To be an heir, this is Romans 8 language too, to be an heir of God means to be an heir of all things. Every single last penny in the universe belongs to you eventually. Every last square inch of God's creation eventually will be turned over to you to care for in the new creation. Every last bit of pleasure is going to be yours infinitely when Jesus returns and makes all things new, all things new because he's promised to give you everything. That's what Christmas means, that God's our Redeemer in Jesus Christ and that God's our Father, and that God is uh, the very, very rich, uh, very, very rich, long-lost uncle who's going to give you everything on the last day. All right, stand with me, and let's pray, then we'll have communion. Father, uh, uh, thank you for being such a good God and for loving us, and I was uh, convicted uh, once again uh, this week as I was studying for this sermon about how I'm so, so attracted to all the weird forms of freedom that I think are actually valuable, that I kind of want to be my own man, and I don't like it when people tell me what to do, and I don't like the demands that friends and family and fellow church members make on me. And I kind of feel uh, pinched in, uh, like what I really need to do is bust out and just do what I want. And God, I, I, I realize once again afresh, as I was studying this this week, that that's just another fancy word for slavery, to be tied up with my own selfishness, to be tied up with my own quirks, to be tied up with my own idols, as much as my culture might tell me that's freedom. Uh, God, help me to see that the real freedom is being owned by you. 
The real freedom is being your child and having the free run of your creation. Lord, convince me of that. Uh, Give me a heart that longs for that and loves that freedom in you. Lord, in your mercy. God, we thank you for adopting us. Uh, We thank you that you didn't just save us and promise to take us to heaven to give us a sort of carrot so that we would be your slaves. We thank you that you wanted children and that you wanted a family and that you wanted people to talk to you and to know you and people that you could know and love. God, we thank you so much for making us your children. We thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to become our older brother, to bind us to himself as his siblings. Lord, in your mercy. Father, we pray for everybody who's struggling uh, right now with um, uh, uh, being lonely and being worried and uh, people who are sick and people who have financial concerns. Pray especially this morning for Joyce, uh, who it appears might have to go in for uh, back surgery. And God, uh, give her strength, uh, physical strength to heal from this, but also give her emotional strength. Encourage her and give her boldness to work hard at rehabbing. And just take care of her. Be with everybody who's uh, uh, struggling with uh, Uh, sicknesses like this and convince all of us of the power of your son's resurrection uh, both to create new life and health and wholeness now but especially on the last day when your son returns to make all things new help us to look forward with our eyes of faith to that infinite wholeness and health and healthiness uh, that you're going to give us then in your son's resurrection lord in your mercy Again, uh, Father, this seems to come up a lot in the readings that we've been having lately. We praise you for adoption. Uh, We praise you for allowing us into your throne room, inviting us into your throne room, because you have made us your children, and we can come and talk to you whenever we want. In the name of your Son, Jesus, amen. Now let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated. No tongue can